4: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Getting you ready for the day in sports betting, this is Point
5: Spread Saturday on VCN, the sports betting network. Good morning. Welcome to the Point Spread Saturday here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. NBA playoffs officially underway with all eight seeds from each conference officially decided and plenty of Major League Baseball to get to here on this Saturday morning. Welcome in. I'm Mark Zeno. Thank you for joining me here on Point Spread Saturday. So much to do on this Saturday morning for VEASAN. Again, the NBA playoffs now officially set last night after the Atlanta Hawks defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New Orleans Pelicans take care of the Los Angeles Clippers. So both of those respective teams lock up the eight seed and will take on both the Miami heat, the number one seed in the East and the Phoenix suns, the number one seed out West. And we have four playoff games in the NBA on the docket this afternoon, starting at uh, at one o'clock. I think the games start this early. Uh, I and mean, in the first game up on the schedule, is the Utah Jazz against the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this is one of these weird games because the line opened up at the Jazz as a three, I'm sorry, the Mavericks, rather, as a short three-point favorite. But the news of Luka Doncic, who is dealing with a calf strain, not playing in game one, has shifted this line eight points. Uh, it is now Utah sitting in a four-and-a-half, five-point favorite position uh, after the news that Doncic is out. You know, objectively, The Mavs have a great defense, one of the best defenses in the league. In fact, number two scoring defense in the NBA. Utah's number two team in the NBA in effective field goal percentage, so they are a very good shooting team. Dallas comes into this game on a hot streak, 7-2-1 against the number over their last 10. Utah, conversely, very cold, 2-8 against the spread over their last 10 games. They've split the regular season series between these two teams. However, Dallas covered all four games in this series against the spread and so what to make of this right now when you look at no oh, by the way in those games uh, Utah was a favorite in three or four of those regular season games That Dallas covered all four of them so uh, you know what to make of this is really tough to figure out what are the Mavericks going to look like not only offensively without Luca but defensively without Luka, I think is a huge question for this team will their defense be as potent as it was throughout the regular season. Uh, without Luca. And there's a huge fear here. If you're betting from a series standpoint and haven't placed a wager yet, uh, Luca might not only miss one game, but likely miss two games, maybe even three. This is the, the, these calf strain injuries. Typically players sit out for two to three weeks with calf strain type injuries. Um, You know, and, and so this is not something you can really rush back from, although there probably will be a strong desire to try to get Luka to play as soon as possible. If somehow the Mavericks can end up with a split at home, uh, I think you have to feel like that is a win right now. This is going to be a pass for me personally. Uh, There's just too much variance that I can't eliminate. I I think Dallas' defense is really good with or without Luka in the lineup. I think they've proven that throughout the entire season, that they could put a quality defense on the floor. Uh, And Utah's defense is no slouch themselves. Um, They're one of the top ten defenses in the NBA this year. But the question is, is how much offense – will the Mavericks have without their star? Uh, And it's tough to really figure out. It wouldn't shock me if the Mavericks only lost this game by a field goal. I don't think Utah's particularly, uh, even though their field goal effective field goal percentage is one of the best in the NBA, their offense doesn't impress me. Um, Other than than Donovan Mitchell, I mean, obviously, Gobert is a huge force in the middle. But, you know, again, this isn't a high-powered offense like we're used to seeing from some of these NBA teams out there. So... Uh, it'll be a pass for me. Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably just lay the points because Luca's out, and that's such a huge loss offensively for the Mavericks, and they may not, you know, even uh, be, be able to get to hundred. And, and maybe it's the under. You know, the total's set at 209 and half in this game, uh, and maybe that's the direction you go in uh, is take the under in this spot. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that game shakes out. We're going to be no official play for me on. Uh, Utah and Dallas. Second game on the schedule today: Minnesota and Memphis. The Grizzlies laying six and a half at a total of two thirty-six. Uh, these are the top two scoring offenses in the NBA. Uh, Minnesota at one fifteen point nine. Memphis at one fifteen point six. And don't forget, they were twenty-one and two this year without John Morant in the lineup. Um, however, Minnesota's defense is much much worse than Memphis's is. In fact, Minnesota's twenty-fourth in the NBA in scoring defense Now they split the regular season series two games apiece, both straight up and against the spread Memphis averages the most field goals attempts per game uh, in the NBA this season I think that works in their favor uh, and Memphis scores the most points of any team in the first quarter in the NBA on average this season so I'll look at two plays based off that first one Memphis at home Going to be an incredible crowd there. I mean, they are juiced up for this. They have John Morant back. He's healthy now. And so from that standpoint, I'll lay minus two and a half in the first quarter with the Memphis Grizzlies, Uh, try to take advantage of a situation here where uh, they will come out and want to, you know, be very effective from the start. I don't think there'll be a case of nerves or pumping up shots too early or just guys missing Memphis is too skilled and too talented at that. This is a young team, uh, but they have a ton of composure. I think they can come out early and end the first quarter easily with a three-point lead. So I'll take Memphis in the first quarter, and I'll take them in the game, and I'll lay the six and a half. There is a sense for me that Minnesota might have a little bit too much confidence uh, after they beat the Clippers in the play-in tournament. And maybe it's just Patrick Beverly talking too much, which is obviously a a thing that that happens on a regular basis. But that said, uh, I don't know if... Minnesota is ready to face the caliber of offense that that Memphis is, comparatively speaking, to what the Clippers were. Uh, and and even though the Clippers had Paul George in that game and he was very effective, still they're not as complete an offense uh, as as Memphis is at this point. So uh, with a little overconfidence, I'll lay the points with Memphis here. And I'll also take them in the first quarter. Now, third game up here, Toronto and Philadelphia. Philadelphia laying four and a half and a total of two sixteen. Uh, I love Toronto here, Uh, and I spoke with Jonathan Von Tobel, uh, hardwood handicappers, right here on Vston earlier in the week. Uh, This is one of his biggest plays, and I'm tailing him on it because he's 100% right. This is a matchup nightmare for the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Toronto getting four and a half here almost seems like a steal. They won three of the four regular season meetings between these two teams. They went 4-0 against the spread. They were a dog in all four games as they are now. Uh, This is a lengthy Athletic team defensively, Toronto is. They're great on the perimeter. Uh, I think it's a matchup nightmare for Philadelphia, particularly with James Harden now in the lineup. Toronto allows the second fewest field goal attempts of any team in the league throughout the season. Uh, Philadelphia is not going to have a ton of attempts in this game, uh, and I think that unless Philadelphia takes advantage of the fact uh, that they can, they're the best free throw shooting team in the league, and takes advantage of the fact that they can get to the line and score some points that way, then I don't know how much of a decided advantage they'll have, despite the fact that Joel Embiid is likely going to be the MVP uh, and how great he has been all year long. And I know Philadelphia's home, but it just seems like, for me, this is one of those spots of Philadelphia where all the pressure is on them. Right, They're the ones who have to come out and uh, and be able to uh, win game one to sort of put their fan base at ease and not create more noise and more pressure. I mean, it's Philadelphia, man. I mean, this is a, This is a town where where uh, the, the the loud voices are the loudest. And so, if they lose game one, uh, they're going to hear a ton of it. And and you know, sometimes a lot of field teams respond to that sort of pressure. But the pressure that's on them here, I think, favors Toronto. Uh, they, they may play a little bit tight at the outset of this thing. I love the Raptors getting four and a half today. Also like the under. I think it's it's sort of a correlating bet situation from where I sit. Uh, I could see Philadelphia winning an under game, but I don't see Toronto winning an over game, if that makes sense. Uh, the under much more favors Toronto than it does Philadelphia because that means they're limiting Harden and Embiid uh, and, and, and Maxie and everybody else uh, offensively. But I think this is a spot here at 216 where you know, the final of this game is is you know, one hundred six, one hundred three, you know, one hundred eight, one hundred five, somewhere in that range like that. Um, you know, and and whoever ends up winning, it's it's probably a three point you know one possession game kind of deal. Uh, although again, I, I think Toronto can win this game outright. They might not even be a bad money line play here in game one. So uh, it, it's it, that's going to be a fun fun series to watch. But again, I think all the pressure uh, is decidedly on. Uh, Philadelphia in that game final game of the uh, opening day of the NBA playoffs it is the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors Golden State Lane six and a half and a total of 233 Steph Curry is a go for the Warriors his last game was on March 16th and the Warriors lost that game to the Boston Celtics Uh, they then lost seven of their next eight without Steph in the lineup Um, but they finished the regular season on a five-game win streak so they're starting to get things together. What version of Steph Curry will we see in game one? I think you'll see the normal version of Steph Curry. I think you'll see the normal version of the Golden State Warriors. That's just a little bit more seasoned with guys who had to play a lot more minutes without Curry in the lineup. Um, the Nuggets won three of the four regular, seasons meeting, regular season meetings, and all four of them were prior to Curry's injury. So it's not like they beat them without Curry. But these are two of the best shooting teams in the NBA. Uh, and they love to spread the ball around. Two of the best assist teams in the NBA as well. Golden State's defense is what's selling me on them at this point. Um, they're third in the NBA in points allowed. And it's markedly better than Denver's defense. And I think the focus becomes for the Golden State Warriors to look at the situation and go, OK, well, we're going to do everything we can to keep Jokic um, contained, right? I mean, he, he's going to get his. I don't think that that's an issue. Um, but this is a spot where they'll say, go ahead, Denver. Beat. Let anybody else try to beat me. Uh, and Denver's defense is a liability here. They're 21st uh, in the NBA in opposing field goal percentage. That's bad against a team like Golden State that has such great shooters like Curry and Clay Thompson. So uh, it's enough for me to lay the points here. It, it it the number. I mean, it's one of those numbers that jumps out to me and goes, "It's that big. It's that big for a reason." They're going to blow this team's doors off uh, at Oracle. Uh, I, I don't think Denver stands a chance here in Game One. I also like the over in this spot. Uh, I think both of these teams are going to get I think Golden State gets into the to the 120s, and you see uh, a, a Denver team chasing in the 110s, one teams. All right. Coming up next, uh, we will switch gears here to college football and take a look at some future. Spring games coming up. They're all starting this weekend or in the following weeks here. Let's look at odds to see who can win a national title. That's coming up next here. I'm Mark Zinno. Thank you for joining me on Point Spread Saturday on VEASAN, the sports betting network.
0: This
5: is Point Spread Saturday on v the Sports Betting Network. The NFL Draft is right here in Las Vegas, and we'll have extensive coverage, including mock drafts from Matt Eumanns. Michael Lombardi, a former NFL GM, will give his draft analysis. v host Mike Pritchard, who was a first-round pick and former quarterback Sean King, will give you all the insight you can bet on. Also, legendary sports broadcaster and voice of the Las Vegas Raiders, Brent Musburger, We'll give his draft best bets in our draft betting guide. Sign up today to get full access to Vison through the NFL draft for only $19 at slash spring. Welcome back into Point Spread Saturday here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. I'm Mark Zinno. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. We'll get back into the NBA playoffs. Later on in the show as well, we'll take a look at the NBA slate. I'm sorry, the MLB slate rather for today uh, as a a full complement of games and where I'm going. Of course, uh, we will continue our path to the draft segment uh, as we look at two teams, one from the NFC, one from the AFC uh, and where they are in the NFL draft. All coming up later on this first hour of the show with you till 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific Pacific. And with spring games getting underway here over the course of the last week and into this week, uh, I figured it was appropriate to talk some college football futures. Uh, the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs will have their spring game uh, today in a very wet, soggy Athens uh, as it is heavily pouring down rain in eastern Georgia today. So uh, they will they will continue in G-Day in the rain. But nonetheless, uh, you look at some of these odds for these teams to win a national title. And is it too early to handicap some of this stuff? Probably, but it's one of these things where I think it's worth to take a look at and at least put yourself in a position to understand who can do what, given where they are at this point in time. And if you look, again, Alabama and Georgia, obviously the top two favorites there, and I don't see any value in either one of them. In fact, I would not bet on Georgia. Um, the only repeat champion that we've had is Alabama. Uh, I don't think anybody else is going to beat Alabama twice So uh, in a row, I should say. Uh, and from that standpoint, I think Georgia is a waste of money. You may as well set it on fire. And it's not that I don't think they're talented enough to win it again, but I also don't like their quarterback situation with running it back with Stetson Bennett, I think is a mistake. Uh, you caught lightning in a bottle once with him. I don't think you can do it again. That's just me. Ohio State isn't a terrible bet by any stretch of the imagination. They're the number one offense in the country last year, C.J. Stroud, likely going to win the Heisman, or at least he'll be one of the Heisman favorites. And if you're going to bet on the Heisman, bet on Stroud now because his number—the first pass he throws <laughs> once the regular season starts—that number is only going down. It's not—it's not going back up. I think he's at plus 350 right now. That may be the best odds that you're going to get at 350. Uh, so I wouldn't—I I wouldn't hesitate if you believe that Stroud is going to win the Heisman. That said, I'd like to focus on the next three teams as teams I think that have viable option, viable chances to win a national title uh, and and the first step and I always look at the chance to win the national title is can you win your conference because if you win your conference as a power five you infinitely increase your chances of making it to the college football playoff then you hope you're in two coin flip games that's the best you can hope for at this point in time it's really hard to forecast who's going to be what but I'm if you're asking me to make a bet on who can win a national championship I got to know that they can win their conference and let's start with Clemson Clemson didn't win their conference last year. Why? Because their offense fell apart and it stunk. Uh, It wasn't their defense. Their defense finished top five in the nation last year. Their defense was never the problem. I expect their defense to be everybody as good this year as it was last year. Why do I like them? Well, I believe their offense is going to get corrected. Now, after that spring game, which just happened a couple of days ago, uh, Dabo Sweeney named DJ Uyogalele their starter heading into the fall. Cade Klubnik is one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. Uh, he had a fantastic spring game, and he threw for 106 yards and a touchdown. He looks very good. He's a more accurate passer than DJ Uwe, Uwe You know, my producer wants me to keep saying Uwe Agulele as often as I can, so I'm going to try to instead of just cheating and saying DJU. That said, Klubnik is probably one of those guys that a la Trevor Lawrence, when Kelly Bryant a few years ago was named the starter, you know, took over quickly and never turned back. That's the expectation with kate klubnik uh for clemson Uh, but again ui oglele is going to be the starter heading into the fall and klubnik is going to have to win the job from him uh all this is wrapped in the fact that clemson has a new offensive coordinator brandon streeter and they are going to look a little bit different offensively than they did last year this is still the most talented team in the acc by a considerable margin that's really what it boils down to uh and at 12 to 1 i get why They are a fairly short favorite to win a national title because they are likely going to win the ACC in a walk next year. I don't know that there's another team out there that can compete with them. I mean, Pittsburgh, who was everything last year, loses Kenny Pickett. He's in the NFL, obviously. What are they going to look like? Uh, Sam Howell is going on to the NFL from North Carolina. Maybe Wake Forest has the offense um, to to keep up with Clemson, but they don't have the defense. So uh, I don't really know. NC State will always be competitive, but I don't know if they're good enough to beat Clemson. So I can back Clemson at 12-1 to to win a national title because I think they're easily going to win the ACC. The next two teams on that list there, Texas A&M and USC. Well, you're saying, how can you back Texas A&M? They play in the same conference and the same division as Alabama. Well, the logic simply goes like this. Um, One, A&M beat Alabama last year during the regular season. And that is a situation, I think, that really empowers Jimbo Fisher. There is a sense about AM. If it's not now, it's never kind of deal. Because given where the SEC West is this year, again, AM beat Alabama last year, so they know they could do it. Now the game will shift from uh Kyle Field in in college station next year to Tuscaloosa when the two play. So it's going to be an incredibly tough matchup for the Aggies. Their quarterback, Zach Calzada, the guy who kind of isn't all that great. Yeah, he's he's quarterbacking Auburn right now. So I don't know that Auburn's offense is going to be much better. Um I think it's going to take a year for LSU with Brian Kelly to establish themselves, right? I don't know if the first year coming out, they're going to be as good uh, as, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, more consistent as Notre Dame was when he had players two or three years. I just think it takes one more year for them to get going. Um, Ole Miss loses Matt Corral. I know Lane Kiffin is a hell of a coach, but. You're starting with a new quarterback, and that's always a little bit of a bumpy road going forward. The other biggest threat, I think, to AM, and believe it or not, honestly, is Arkansas. Sam Pittman returns almost everybody. Um, you know, and and this is a spot where uh, this is a very competitive team. They won nine games last year. They want to challenge again in the SEC. I don't think they're good enough to win the SEC West. That it is Arkansas, but uh, they certainly are, are going to be one of the more dangerous teams out there. So when you look at it, yes, it's an extremely tough road to go for Texas A&M and like I said if it's not now it's probably going to be never for Jimbo Fisher uh, with the Aggies but this may be the one year that they're ripe to do it. They've upgraded at quarterback. They get Haynes King back who was hurt last year. He was supposed to be their starter Um, and he's a much more mobile quarterback and a better passer. I think he's that kind of quarterback that has consistently given Nick Saban fits a la the Trevor Lawrence in college a la the, the, the Johnny Manziel in college. You know again all those mobile quarterbacks who can run around and make a ton of plays that's the kind of guy that, uh, that's going to be able to beat Saban, and, and that's the kind of guy that Haynes King is for uh, Texas A&M. So if it's not now, it's never. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know if it's the smartest play, but I think you, A&M certainly presents a viable option at 25-1. to And then USC, again, uh, same sort of logic as it is with the ACC and Clemson. Lane Kiffin goes over to USC. He brings Caleb with him, Caleb Williams with him over there. And are they good enough in year one to win the Pac-12? Yes. They are. Um, I know Oregon will present some challenges, and Utah is going to be very good and very consistent again, both running the ball and on the defensive side. But given – given uh, not, not Lane Kiffing, dear Lord, why did my, my hamster just fall off the wheel? <laughs> given Lincoln Riley's uh, ability to coach up offenses and turn things around very quickly, uh, I don't think it's a bad bet to beat USC because the gap between Oregon and Utah and USC is not that big. Uh, It's not as big as it is in the ACC between Clemson and everyone else, especially not from a talent standpoint. I think USC could absolutely win the Pac-12 this year. Uh, And if they do that, USC is going to the college football playoff. As long as it's not with more than three losses, with three losses or more, if they have two losses and they win the Pac-12, they're going to the college football playoff because you need two undefeated teams otherwise uh, heading into championship weekend to be able to do it. So uh, I don't think it's a bad bet at all. At 25 to 1 because I think USC uh, will be a a favorite to win the Pac-12, if not the number one favorite, the number two favorite. And I'll back Lincoln Riley. I trust him a ton. And again, bringing Caleb Williams with him to USC is a huge, huge plus for the Trojans and their offense. He already understands what Lane Kiffin wants to do. Um, And I don't know that there's a lot of Pac-12 defenses. What did I say? Lincoln Riley. Thank you. my mind is, is is spinning with college coaches here, uh, but I don't think that a lot of these Pac-12 defenses are prepared to see an offense like Lincoln Riley used to run in the 12. So again, uh, those are the three teams I'd look at to back. I don't see much value in Michigan um, as much as they were a college football playoff last year. They're going to beat Ohio state twice. Probably not. Um, you know, there, there's there, some of the shine may be off Michigan, um, Oklahoma, when you lose Lincoln Riley, uh, it is very much a, a huge <laughs> coaching loss, and that may throw a wrench into the works for the Sooners. Uh, Notre Dame, I don't give much of a chance to, No disrespect to Marcus Freeman, head coach, but it's just not where I'm going to put my money. So, All right, coming up next, uh, Major League Baseball, full slate of 15 games today, where I'm going to look for some hedges and some action and a little bit of value. Coming up next right here on v on Point Spread Saturday, the Sports Betting Network will be right back. Back in two-point spread Saturday here on V-Smith. This been brought to you by hey, Body Armor. Get your edge this playoff season with Body Armor Edge Basketball Throwdown. Join our free fantasy hoops contests and play for your share of $20,000 in total cash prizes while the action unfolds on the court. Head to DraftKings.com slash Body Armor Edge now to draft your best lineup and find out if you'll outlast the competition. Body Armor, more than a sports drink. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back into Point Spread Saturday. I'm Mark Zinno. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Uh, Coming up here in a little more than 15 minutes, we will do our path to the draft segment, look at one team from the NFC, one team from the AFC, look at their win totals and where they might go in the upcoming NFL draft. which is now less than two weeks away. Uh, right in Las Vegas will be the NFL draft this year. So, going to be an amazing show both on TV and live uh, in Las Vegas. So, stay tuned to VSIN as we get closer to the NFL draft. And, of course, uh, we'll have all the coverage on VSIN.com as well. Get back into the NBA playoffs coming up next hour. Uh, and we will start to look at the four games on the schedule today as well as odds for series winners here in the first round of the NBA postseason. But, Major League Baseball today, uh, plenty of games here. In fact, all 15 in action, all 15 teams playing, or all 15 games, rather, 30 teams playing today uh, with a variety of day games. One of my new favorite bets in baseball this year uh, is this first inning over under a half run total. Uh, I I think it is a, a wonderful bet to make. There is a misperception about how many runs. Are scored in the first inning of a major league baseball game it's a lot more than what people would think um, this is a handicap that much like a first period over in the nhl which i've been successful at this year as well um, these are systemic you can play percentages uh, you can you can look at how teams do over the course of a season and look at the percentage of what they do and stick to that and it should give you the same results percentage wise over the course of the year so you have to find the teams that are good at it and they're going to be teams that are good at scoring and they're going to be teams that are are bad at giving up runs in the first inning of each game. and once you combine that with starting pitchers and look at certain spots situationally uh, i think this is a short handicap it's easy and there is so much value in some of these bets and and i joked with a friend and i'll say it again that these first inning uh, total bets are much like married people sex. It's quick, it's convenient, and only one side has to do all the work and you can still win. So there is that. Um, but I am going to look at one of them today between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Chicago White Sox. Uh, and I'm actually gonna take the under here in the first inning. Uh, you got Corey Kluver going for the Rays against Michael Kopek of the Chicago White Sox. One of the other factors that I look at too, these day games sometimes, and I know they played a day game, afternoon game yesterday, but body clocks are different. A lot of these players are used to play at night, uh, and to go to day games, they're a little bit sluggish. Kluber, in his first outing of the year, went four and two thirds, gave up just three hits and no runs, walked four uh, and struck out five, which is why he got pulled. But Kopeck, in his first start, went four innings, gave up two hits and one run and three Ks. Both of them survived their first inning in their first start without giving up any runs. Um, these are two very competent teams uh, and while part of me thinks that the total of this game will go over today at eight and a half. It was a 3-2 game last night between these two teams. Um, these are teams that don't strike out a lot. Uh, they, they are good competent lineups, uh, but that to me um, doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to be able to score a run here in the first inning Uh both of these starters took care of business in their first time out so I like the under here and when I'm only getting minus 110 and it's the same for the over too, which is situationally when I look at it when I see the oddsmakers put the over and the under at the exact same number um, given the starting pitchers in this game I'll go with the under on this and and see if they can escape the first inning without giving up a run so I like that play uh, in that game next game I'm looking at is the Yankees and the Baltimore Orioles Uh, Yankees lost last night to the Orioles in 11 innings two to one. Uh, and believe it or not here, uh, I'm going to go with the Yankees on the run line uh, minus one and a half at minus one Oh six. I like the fact that it's only minus one Oh six. The Yankees have historically been very good at Camden yards and have taken care of the Orioles on a routine basis. Uh, I don't see them losing two in a row to the Orioles in the way that they lost last night. To me, uh, they'll have a renewed focus uh, and, and their bats should wake up uh against this Orioles pitching staff that is not very good and very, very young. Tyler Wells, who we they're facing today, his last time out, got bombed. Only last in the inning in two-thirds uh, against, I think it was the Rays. He No, it was the Brewers he pitched uh, against his first time out. So uh, I don't mind the minus the minus 106 on the run line here. Uh, I think it's a great price to pay for a team that has a lineup that can beat up on the Orioles. Plus, uh, in this game as well, I'm going to look at James Tyon, the starter for the Yankees. Over four and a half Ks, a uh, little juicy at minus one thirty-four, but Tyon uh, is uh, more competent of a starter than what he's getting credit for. His last time out, he went five innings, gave up five hits, two runs, struck out six. Uh, the Orioles strike out more than any team in Major League Baseball so far this year. They average just under twelve Ks a game, uh, and there hasn't been a market correction yet on the K props a hundred percent for a guy like Tyon, um, who when he was coming up was developed, you know, or build as this really high level, high strikeout kind of pitcher. But at four and a half, this is too low against the worst strikeout team in the league. And that's part of the other reason I'm backing the Yankees here uh, on the run line. Um, I, I think the Yankees can get out to a big enough lead here where they can, after tie on goes five, they can turn it over to their bullpen, which is much more competent. Um, and, and as compared to their starting staff, Uh, and be able to get out of this game with at least a two-run victory. So the combination of tie-on is over K-Prop at four-and-a-half, and and the Yankees on the run line I think is a a good double-up between those two teams. Uh, Next, I'm going to go to the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers. Chris Bubik, who is the starter for the Royals here, um, his K-Prop is at over four-and-a-half, and it's actually plus money on the over at plus 112 uh, the tigers are averaging just under nine k's a game this year um, that's in the bottom half of major league baseball last year the tigers were fourth to last in most Ks per game in all of major league baseball um, rubik has, has a good start under his belt already um, these are two th- this is a royals team that doesn't strike out a lot either uh, i expect this to be a low scoring game here uh, the question is is how long will Bubik be able to stay in the game for Kansas City to get over four and a half, but this is one of these things where if he can get strikeouts early and get to three um, by the fourth inning, you know, I, I feel like we're in good position uh, as starters in their second start. Now will start to go a little bit longer than they did in their first. Every manager was cautious with all of these starters early on. But when I'm getting plus money here to go over against one of the higher strikeout teams in the league, I'm going to try to take advantage of it here uh, just because the price and the value is there for me on Chris Bubik for uh, the Kansas city Royals. Uh, Two other things that I want to look at when it comes to, um, you know, the, the major league baseball slate today, there are two other lines that jumped out at me. One of them, and these are both K props, by the way, one of them, Minnesota in Boston, uh, The K prop for Sonny Gray is four and a half. Um, The Red Sox are one of the highest strikeout teams in the league. They're averaging nine strikeouts per game. Um, And bells went off, or at least an alarm went off, when I saw that it was minus 158 to the over. Now, I would never recommend paying that kind of money uh, or paying that kind of juice on a K prop. There's just way too much variance you can't eliminate uh, between You know, the possibility of a guy tweaking something, not lasting long enough in a game. Sure, he could strike out five, but he also could be walking guys and get pulled early. His pitch count could get up. So there's just way too much variance to be able to put money on, uh, put that much juice on a K prop. But it is interesting that the number is that low against one of the higher strikeout teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, in the Boston Red Sox, who so again are averaging nine Ks per game, and this is only four and a half. It's the question of how deep can Sonny Gray get into this game. Uh, I just thought it was when you when I see a amount of juice that high, um, sometimes I want to fade it and go in the other direction, but um, it also tells me that 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 bookmakers are seeing the liability there, obviously, and that um, this is a, an easy number for Sonny Gray to hit, so they're making you pay uh, the extra the extra money for it. And then Hunter Green of the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know if a lot of you know about Hunter Green, a highly built prospect, a kid with a flame throwing arm in spring training. He pitched nine innings. Um, He gave up like nine runs and gave up four home runs. He was bad. Then he comes out in his first ever start in major league baseball as a 21 year old kid, 22 year old kid uh, and strikes out the Braves seven times and goes over. He's facing the LA Dodgers here today. Um, And I'm seeing his K prop at four and a half. In the minus 145, minus 150 range. However, his under number is plus 118. The Dodgers are 11th in fewest Ks so far this year, and they average just seven Ks per game over their last three. So this is not a high-level strikeout team. The Dodgers. It's a very competent lineup, a very seasoned lineup. Um, I think I could take Hunter Green under after a big first start. Uh, and take it at plus money at plus 118. So that's where I am right now on Major League Baseball. Coming up next, our Path to the Draft segment, one NFC team, one AFC team. We'll preview them both next right here on Point Spread Saturday on Vista in the Sports Betting Network.
0: This is Point Spread Saturday on
5: VSN, the Sports Betting Network. Compete for cash, even if you're not an expert with the FTX Playoff Prediction Challenge. Join this 16-part prediction pool series and play for your share of $80,000 in total cash prizes with your playoff hoops predictions. Head to DraftKings.com slash FTX now to get in on the action. FTX, the number one pick for crypto. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back in to Point Spread Saturday here on v I'm Mark Zinno. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Coming up next hour, we'll talk with Rohit Panea, who will break down the NBA playoffs for us as we look at – the games coming up today, and some possible series previews. We'll also look at futures for the NBA uh, and where you can place your money here to win the title uh, and each respective conference. Uh, I think there's a strategy to this that you have to employ um, based off of the bracket and where teams are and what you're getting uh, from a price standpoint. So we'll dive into that coming up uh, right after the top of the 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific hour, but. Uh, our road to the draft segment continues here as the NFL draft less than two weeks away right in Las Vegas. And we'll take a look at two teams, uh, one from the AFC, one from the NFC. In the AFC, it's the Baltimore Ravens. In the NFC, it's the Washington Commanders. Uh, the Ravens finish at 8-9 and nine and miss the postseason. I think they started 7-3 last year and just fell apart. Lamar Jackson got injured uh, towards the end of the year, didn't play the final three or four games of the regular season, and Baltimore misses the playoffs. When I have eyed win totals uh, for this year the Ravens over nine and a half is one of my absolute favorites um, and this to me uh, seems like a gift and, and I get it it's juicy at minus 130 but um, the, the Ravens are way more talented than odd bankers are giving him credit for and between Cleveland getting Deshaun Watson and Cincinnati making it to the Super Bowl last year People are undervaluing the Ravens because of those moves, and you're getting a great number here. The Ravens are, are, are probably an 11 or 12-win team, especially with the extra 17th game, um, given where they are. That's just based off Lamar Jackson and what he can do. Uh, there, there may be some sense, you know, that the Ravens may lose another division game or two, but still, uh, to finish 10-7 and seven is not a tough ask for the Ravens to go over 9.5 wins. It's just not. Uh, do not. I don't see it as such. Uh, This is still a really talented team, and they're very well coached. They're very disciplined. They have an amazing front office that knows how to fill holes and complete a roster. So uh, I I think they're incredibly undervalued at nine and a half wins. Lamar Jackson is also in the final year of his rookie deal. Hasn't gotten a new one yet. you think he's going to ball out a little bit in the final year of his deal? I think so. It's a good time to bet on the Ravens uh, with Lamar Jackson being in the final year of his rookie deal uh, they're 20 to one odds to win the Super Bowl they have seven million in cap space in the 14th overall draft pick now look in the draft the Ravens need one of two positions pass rusher or cornerback um, you know even though they have a huge need at linebacker Tyus Bowser tore his Achilles in the season finale last year uh, and he is out to Smith backed out of an agreement in free agency so they have a void at linebacker but also a void at cornerback they have no depth on the outside Marlon Humphrey Marcus Peters Both suffered season-ending injuries last year. Um, They're going to need some depth there. This, to me, is a spot where the Ravens, and this is where their front office is really good. And I lived in Baltimore for a decade and covered that team very closely um, and covered that team during their Super Bowl run in 2012. One of the things about this team that they are very good at is knowing what they need and knowing how to acquire it. With all the cornerbacks at the top of this draft, whether it's Sauce Gardner or whoever else is out there, this would not shock me at all to see the Ravens make a move into the top 10 to go get the player that they want that will make an immediate impact because this is a Super Bowl caliber team. There isn't this mortgage the future. I mean, you may, theoretically, you may only have Lamar Jackson for another year after this. Uh, if they can't come to a deal, they franchise him, uh, and they can't come to a deal after that, they're probably not going to franchise a quarterback two years in a row because you're talking about a $45 million cap hit, uh, and some of that's not just not sustainable. So. There is a sense that you may only have, you know, you have to look at there may only be another year or two for the Ravens to go out there and win this thing. And they could be hitting a mini reset button. So uh, they may be more aggressive in trying to get a player now that can make an impact for their team uh, and do something like that and be able to trade up and go get a player uh, that they absolutely need in this draft, whereas other teams may not. And I don't think that they are mortgaging the future by any stretch of the imagination, but doing that their future is now Lamar Jackson is here. Now he's under contract cheaply now. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the other counter to that as well, then you need more draft picks because if you're going to pay your quarterback more, the cheapest talent is through the draft. And I get that. Um, but you can't count on next year's draft and that you have no idea where you're going to be drafting, who's going to be available and anything like that. So I, I don't, You know, when it comes to the draft, you have to look at a year-by-year philosophy. You can't try to forecast out next year's draft and what it's going to look like because there's just way too many variables at this point in time. But I do like the Ravens over 9.5 wins, uh, and and I could see them being aggressive and moving up in the draft. The other team that we're looking at from the NFC is the Washington Commanders. Um, Their win total is at 7.5. I don't think it's a bad— a bad win total go over, given who their quarterback is in Carson Wentz. Now the world is down on Carson Wentz, and I certainly understand it. You know, there is a sense that uh, he's just not that guy that that was headed towards an MVP until he got injured. Uh, Washington is fifty to one to win the Super Bowl. There's 10.7 million in cap space. they have the 11th overall pick and they have their owner under investigation from Congress for allegedly misappropriating funds and just being an awful human being, right like that we, we, we've known that though. We don't need Congress to tell us that Daniel Schneider kind of sucks at life. Uh, we've figured that out uh, to this point. So beyond all that, On the field, the question this year for the commanders, and I've said this repeatedly when handicapping this team, it isn't necessarily about Carson Wentz. It's about whether or not Ron Rivera can fix this defense. Two years ago, they had one of the best pass rushes in all of the NFL. You had Chase Young, Montez Sweat bookending. You had making nightmares for quarterbacks and offensive coordinators and how to stop those two guys. Last year, that wasn't the case. Uh, through the first six games of the year, and Washington was playing well through the first six games of the year. Their defense, I think, was 30th in the league in points allowed. They were just terrible. Uh, and then, of course, Chase Young gets hurt, doesn't finish the year. Defense fell apart, and look what happened to the team uh, that went 7 and 10 overall. Again, I, I think this number is a little bit short, especially for the NFC East. Is Dallas and Philadelphia that much better than Washington that Washington can't win four or five divisional games? I don't think so. Uh, for argument's sake, say they sweep the Giants. If they split with both of those teams, that's half the wins that they got to get right there. I mean, that's you know, uh, and then you got to find four more wins on on a schedule that isn't very challenging. So uh, Carson Wentz is car- competent enough a quarterback and won't make it that many mistakes. That's the one thing he did last year in Indy more than anything. He didn't make a ton of mistakes. Might not have elevated anybody might not have necessarily made the team and the offense all that much better, but if you don't make mistakes, sometimes when you have a defense like Washington's that's playing that good or has the ability to be that good, not making mistakes is enough. Ask Trent Dover. He didn't make any mistakes and won a Super Bowl. I mean, it's you know it, it's one of those deals where sometimes when you're looking at a win total, I think that's enough. What will Washington do in the draft and how will they handle it? You know, that's that's a, a much different story um, from that standpoint because, you know, there are some needs on this team – Um, You know, you look at uh, safety linebacker hybrid uh, like Landon Collins, you know, uh, who who left the team, you know, that could be Kyle Hamilton. Uh, There's a couple of other, you know, uh, cornerback needs for this team. But again, I think that, uh, uh, you know, this could be a team that takes a wide receiver too. It's a very heavy wide receiver draft. You know, do you want to get Carson Wentz as many weapons on the offensive side of the ball as possible? Um, But they also have some offensive line issues. Uh, they need to protect him. And Carson Wentz is a guy at this point in his career that can't be well protected, can't not be well protected and it'd be expected to be effective. So uh, I-, I think Washington is in a favorable spot as far as the draft is concerned at 11. It's not that hard to get up two or three picks. You don't have to give up a ton to get inside the top 10 to find a player that could be markedly better than somebody where you get at 11 or 15 or whatever it may be. Um, but you're also in the flexible spot where they can trade back if somebody wants to jump up. The aforementioned Ravens, if they want to move up three spots, the guy is still there uh, where where they want to go get somebody. Um, but still, this is a team I think that's not that far off. Uh, and I, I can back Washington uh, as much as I can back Ron Rivera as a coach um, to be able to still win the NFC East. Uh, it's not as crazy as it sounds. Remember, I think it's been the last 15-plus years where we have not had back-to-back winners of the NFC East. I think Washington is better than Philadelphia. I I think that they have a a more talented roster from top to bottom. Uh, I I think Philadelphia probably has, crazy as it sounds, maybe a little bit of edge or at least stability at the quarterback position that they needed more than anything. Um, Same quarterback, same coach, same system, all going in now for the second consecutive year could be a little bit of an edge for Carson Palmer. uh, For Carson Palmer, dear Lord, Carson Wentz. Uh, I need to get another cup of coffee and company for the Washington commanders. So um, those are the two teams you looked at path of the draft going to be interesting again, draft in Las Vegas coming up here uh, in less than two weeks. Uh, make sure you keep it locked on the beast for all of your draft needs coming up next. Uh, we will get back to the NBA, look at futures and who's going to win respective conferences and title. That's coming up next right here on point spread Saturday on visa. The sports betting net.